But I believe the word that God has given me this morning is a promise, is a promise. A promise is a promise. Most of you know I interact with most of my uh, landlord tenants and uh, enjoy most of them and have grown quite fond of, of, of a family that I've walked them through some real tough stuff and through a separation, divorce, and some criminal issues, and but uh, become very attached to his children. Uh, they're, they're like four years, five years. I take them fudge. I take them ice cream. I take them. And so I've not, they moved into another, I'm not their landlord anymore. They moved, and uh, I've not seen them for a while. And uh, the, the guy, the dad called me and said, hey, he said, my kids are wanting to know when you're going to bring that ice cream. I said, well, when did I tell him I was going to bring ice cream? He said, well, last time you was out here, like March or April. I said, oh, I said okay. I said, I'll. And so this, this Wednesday night, before we dished out the banana, I got a little bowl. I always get a bowl for mom and dad. I got another bowl and uh, called him yesterday. And I said, hey, where are you? He said, well, I'm at the house. I said, well, hey, I got that ice cream. He goes, the ice cream? I thought you forgot about that. I said, no, a promise is a promise. And those kids were asking their dad, where's Pastor Hank? They don't go to church here. I don't go to church anywhere. They call me Pastor Hank. Where's Pastor Hank's ice cream he promised? Isn't that funny how children remember things and, and, uh, and we, 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 we fulfill the promises, I believe, that we have, we have made. In Acts, the second chapter, and in Joel, the second chapter, there's an event here. There's a, there's a revival going on. Things have been kind of quiet. Uh, 400 years of silence, no major prophets, no major miracles, uh, with the exception of the pool of Shalom, no move of God. And so we know that Jesus comes, he fulfills the prophecies, he dies, he resurrects. And we find that right after that window, there are thousands that turn their heart toward God, that turn their heart toward Christ. We know that Peter gets up under the anointing of the Holy Spirit He preaches, he declares a thing, and it refers to the book of Joel. I want to go, first of all, to Acts, the second chapter. And if you look there with me at the 16th verse, look at your neighbor and say, a promise is a promise. And Pastor Hank has promised not to go past noon. Not to go past noon. Acts, the second chapter, the 16th verse. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel... And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And I'm still having visions. I want you to know, Jerry, we're still young. I don't have any old guys in our church. And on my servants and all my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And then in reference to the great tribulation, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs and earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness. The moon shall be into blood before the great notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here we find a great phenomenon, a move of God. There are 120, uh, some say, in the upper room. I disagree. I've been to the upper room. It's very distant. It's very much removed from the temple. Uh, All the guests were in the temple that week doing sacrifices. Several different uh, nationalities were represented. And as they saw the tongues of fire and heard the men speaking in tongues, it was probably in the temple area that God poured out of his spirit. Look at somebody and say, it's okay. Go to church. 
Good things happen at church. I don't know if you have seen on Facebook or you have seen on several of our streets in the city, there are these little cards, and, and they say, why I don't go to church. How many how many have seen that, why I don't go to church? Uh, on Facebook, and I want to say it's September 13th. I'm probably not accurate there. But this Facebook, this response for this card, why I don't go to church, is starting a church. And uh, they want to know why, and they want, they want you to go online and tell, and tell you why they don't go to church. Most people don't go to church because they don't have homemade banana ice cream on Wednesday night. Most people don't go to church because they don't have air conditioning and level of facilities that God has provided us with or a sound crew, a praise and worship team. How many knows I'm, I'm teasing here a, a little bit? It's easy, it's easy to get out of the, I don't like the word habit, I don't like the word ritual. The Bible says, especially as you see those days approaching, assembling yourselves together, it is so easy to get out of the, the, the system of going to the house of God. You got kids, you got vacation, you got toys, you got dirt bikes, you got, and it seems like we work Monday through Saturday, many, and on Saturday do stuff that needs to be done. And then Sunday is just that day I saw, I have, a, I have a friend that is blind, and how she goes on Facebook, I don't know, she is a phenomenon, but she posted yesterday, isn't it nice some day, isn't it nice some days that you don't have to get out of bed? Isn't it nice some days you don't have to get out of bed? And there are many on Sunday morning, they just sleep in. They just sleep in. They go to a Chattanooga brunch, they sleep in, they enjoy the morning. And we understand all of that. But something has happened in the kingdom. There's a move of God. I believe God is moving. I really believe, I said, I really believe that God is moving. As you see some of the third world countries and some of the missionaries, some of the evangelists, we are seeing entire cities getting saved. And we're also seeing entire cities being murdered. I know if ever we were in that scripture that because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. I believe that's where we are. I believe that we are on the verge of a great outpouring. And there are so many leaders today that are prophesying that and speaking that. And we want to make sure we don't, whatever that outpouring is, we don't want to miss that. But I saw on Facebook this morning, it says, there's more to life than going to work, paying the bills, eating a snack, and dying. There's more to life than that. And I believe a lot of times we don't expect more to life or, or demand more, more than life, or we don't sow into areas that would bring things that are more interesting, obviously, than eating, drinking, as it was in days of Moa, Noah getting married, getting divorced, all of that. I believe that there are a lot of things that we hear that sometimes I believe just kind of goes over our head and not realizing that those are covenant promises that God has promised us. Not preachers, not evangelists, not missionaries, but the church, the family of Jesus Christ. I so much enjoyed last Sunday sharing about the eagle. It never gets old. And uh, so many, so many different places we could have gone. As I told you, I spoke five nights in a row in a conference in uh, Strawberry Lake, Minnesota. Gerald Durstein, a wonderful man of God. And uh, for five nights, for about 45 minutes to an hour, I spoke on nothing but the eagle. And so aren't you glad, Sunday that we didn't start at 11 and get at 4? Aren't you, aren't you glad that, that we got out a little early? Something I want to share with you about the eagle. The door opened for me to be a part of Morris Sorello's evangelistic team in Billings, Montana, and it was an Indian reservation. It was a, that wasn't a creek, it wasn't a Cherokee, it wasn't a crow. You know what it was? Black, black, uh, I can't believe I forgot. But anyway, we went, and I was responsible for the evening services, and so I advertised all week long. We was there, I think, Tuesday through Friday. I advertised all week long that I was going to speak on the eagle 
Friday night. So sure enough, we're under a tent, about 300 bodies under the tent, and then several on the periphery just looking in. And right in the middle of reading my text, all of a sudden I look and see, and there's an entourage that arrives. And obviously, whoever was with them was a very famous person. He had bodyguards, he had the whole entourage, and they came and sat on the very back row. Didn't really think a whole lot about it, didn't really put a whole lot of attention to it. Preach it the way I preached it Sunday morning. We had a great move of God, a great altar service. And at the end of the altar service, two of the, of the entourage came up to me and said, Hey, said, I want you to know that our chief heard you was going to speak on the eagle, and he wants to invite you over to his hut or to his house or to his teepee. And I said, Well, I said, well how cool is that? I wonder if he's going to smoke the uh, peace pipe. I, you'll be all things to all men. So I got to thinking about that, that peyote that... Uh, that the Indians are so, uh, they have a, a move in their spirit with the, with the move of peyote, but uh, was invited, went, and he told me, he said, you know more about the eagle than any white man I've ever met. And I want to share some things with you that only we Indians know. And, you know, in, in the past 30, however many years, 34 years of, uh, actually probably 30 years of preaching on the eagle, a lot of times when I preach on the eagle, the next day someone will bring me a mug or a painting, or a postcard, or something in reference to the eagle. And I remember several years ago, someone gave me a, a beautiful piece of art, and what it looked, it appeared to be, was that there was a little cavern that this Indian brave was reaching out, and this Indian brave had a hold of the talons of an eagle. And I had it in my library, didn't know what it referred to, what it meant, but I just, I just had it as one of my uh, memorabilia concerning the eagle and so the chief proceeded to tell me about a covenant made with his tribe and this is something that goes back years and years ago. and the best way that he illustrated he said have you ever seen a black and white movie of the cow of the indians circling the the camp and 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 the and the, and the cowboys getting in a in a circle have you ever seen i said yes yeah, several times have you ever seen when they show the indians on the hill they show the chief and the chief has like several hundred feathers in his, in his, yes, I've seen that. And immediately to the right of the chief, there's a brave, a war, Indian warrior brave that only has one arrow in his, I said, yes, I have seen that. He said, let me tell you about that brave. He said, it's usually with the Apaches and some of the, the little router Indian, but it was the goal of a young brave, 12, 13 years of age. He would go and he would snare a rabbit or a squirrel. He would keep it alive and then he would dig a pit. And then he would camouflage that pit to, to look like it's just a piece of ground. And then he would stake that rabbit or that squirrel to a piece of, night, to a piece of rope, tie that, that, that squirrel off within reach, and then he would watch. That live squirrel, that live rabbit would try to get away. He would make the sounds, and it would, it, would, it would interact. And then when he least expected it, an eagle would swoop down and catch that rabbit or catch that squirrel if the camouflage was accurate, if everything he did was right. He had to be awake. He had to be on his toes. He could have been there two days because it wasn't the first day the eagle came. So it was a process of waiting. It was a process of, of expectation. And when that eagle would swoop down to get that rabbit or squirrel, he would reach out with one hand to grab the talons of that eagle, and, and the other hand he would reach up and he would try to pluck a feather from the eagle. If he accomplished that, he immediately went into the chief's hut, a teepee, whatever, and then he would be mentored by the chief. The chief would teach him 
be his armor bearer, what weapons to use. He would grow up in the chief's house, and then when the chief went to battle, he was the warrior on the right of the chief that had the one eagle feather. I thought, what a what an incredible story of 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 all kinds of things: durability, patience. Uh, I mean, I mean, and it, to be so focused that you would watch. You wasn't watching the sky, but you was watching the bait. And when that bait was snatched from you, you had the whatever the, the wherewithal to reach out and grab that. I have uh, I have videos from National Geographic. I have two. One is a video of a 12-pound golden eagle with a wingspan of almost seven foot swooped down and picked up a kangaroo and flew off with the kangaroo. I have, and I don't know, Keith, if you sent me one, but I have a video of where an eagle picked up a doe, a doe in Minnesota, actually picked up the entire Wait, when you think about an 8 or 10 pound bird picking up something that's weighing 70, 80, it's, it's, if you didn't see it, you wouldn't believe it. I got a Facebook a few weeks ago from an eagle that was in a lake and he swooped down and it looked like a big old salmon and the salmon was, the eagle couldn't get, couldn't get the salmon up out of the water so for over 100 yards the eagle literally did what you would see at the Olympics, did the breaststroke and breaststroke that, that, that fish all the way to the bank and then he got it out. I was thinking, how incredible, how phenomenal. I think about that covenant that's made with that Indian brave to be able to go into the chief's house, be mentored by the chief, be raised by the chief, and go to battle with the chief. And isn't that what we do every Sunday morning? We come to the house of God. We're being mentored by the King of kings and Lord of lords that one day we're going to go and dwell in his house and we're going to show him all the things that we captured for the glory and the kingdom of God. Does that excite anybody in the house this morning? I mean, we could really just kind of go home right now if we wanted to. But I want to, I want to uh, if you will, go with me as quick as you can to Joel. And we visited this passage of Scripture, Joel, the 21st verse. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. This is prophecy in the last days. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad, ye children of Zion, look at yourself and say, that's me, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And we've also heard it prophesied the latter rain would be greater than the former rain. But here we see something happening in a month. There's a beginning of something, and there's a conclusion of something that takes place. And the floor shall be full of wheat, and the vat shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years. Look at that and say the years. The locust has eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you, and ye shall eat in plenty. When you talk about the four insects that God said he would restore us from, we looked several weeks ago that one of the insects was an insect that tried to eat the root. He was underground. He would try to eat the root of the plant. Another insect would try to eat the leaf or the covering of the plant. Then one insect would just eat the fruit. He, when, the, when, the fruit when the vine blossomed, he would eat the fruit. And then another insect would eat the seed. And we look at the, the importance of our of our foundational truths that we believe in God. We look at the we look at the truths of the fact that we have a covering. We've submitted to a church. We've submitted to a covering and we operate under that covering. We look at the fact that our fruit is what God wants us to enjoy and bless, and then God gives us seed to sow so that we can reap what we have sowed. All four areas of this particular walk of life have been taken 
from the Israelite, from the people of God. But God said, I'm going to restore it. I'm going to restore trust in ministry. I'm going to restore your covering. I'm going to restore your fruit. I'm going to restore your seed. And aren't you glad that he is the God of restoration? And he goes on to say, what did he go on to say? I concluded that verse what? And the verse 22, all the way down there. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastor will just spring, and the fig, the tree beareth her fruit, and the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be, I, I read this. I read 23. Let's go to 25. I read oh, 26. Okay, there you have it. And ye shall eat in plenty. Thank you. Ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. Pass your spirit afterwards upon your all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see vision. Also upon the servants, upon the handmaids in those days will I pour my spirit. I will show wonders in the heaven and the earth. So here's a kind of transition from being, from being robbed and mutilated to a process of restoration, being redeemed, and being received the things that God has promised for us. And then a little bit about prophetic. What's going to take place in the last days? What's going to take place uh, during, the, during the wrath of God, the great tribulation, the millennium? So all this is in Joel. And so when Peter, when the, the outpouring takes place, and 120 get filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says immediately he gives an altar call, and 3,000 join the church. Then the next day there's a miracle of the man at the gate. 5,000 join the church. So in two days the church has grown to 8,000. And that's the way God can move when he sends his spirit. So we don't need to get discouraged over people putting signs out that says, why I don't go to church. We don't, I don't believe we need to get discouraged about the fact that all the churches aren't full in just a moment. One, one miracle, one breakthrough, one anointing, one manifestation of God's glory, God's power can pack out any church, can bring, can bring visitors, can bring sinners, can bring the prodigal. And that's really who we're looking for is the prodigal. We want those that have tasted the goodness of God, but now are wanting to rape the goodness of God. I spent uh, two days yesterday, yesterday before uh, in, a, in a scenario where the family that were trying to help, uh, they went and Robbie, they shot the meth into their arm and they missed the vein. They shot it right into their arm and the, and the, and the arm Jerry became swollen and red streaks. And so I insisted. I took him to the emergency room. They admitted him. They put him on IV. They sent him home with antibiotics. When I went over uh, day before yesterday, not only had the arm doubled and the, the arm was red, but there were two horrible-looking lumps on his arm. Just, just, just scary. And uh, I demanded, and I took him to the uh, emergency room. They admitted him. He's in the hospital today. Yesterday, a doctor came in and said, had you waited one day, you'd have lost your arm. One day, you lost your arm. And the doctor lanced it and got the poison out of it and going to send him home today or tomorrow. But you know what? One miracle, one breakthrough, one, one, one move of God. I told him yesterday, I said, you know you've got great things you're supposed to be doing in the kingdom. And there's no, drugs that take you farther. Help me. You want to go, cost you longer you want to stay. Keep you uh, longer than you want to stay, cost you more you want to pay. I said, you need to get out of this. This is a mess. You need to get out. And hopefully he's going to make decisions to do that. But as the church extends its heart and its finances towards the prodigal and the prodigal starts returning, God said, I'll bless that house. I will bless that house. And, you know, don't give up on the ones you're praying for. Don't give up on the ones that are, that are, that are completely away from God or they irritate the dog. 
anybody. They irritate the dog. They do their own thing until the bottom falls out of their boat. Then they expect, help me, the church to buy their groceries, to pay their criminal fines, to pay their probation, to help them. They, they expect the church. And you know what? I, I guess some of that's okay as long as the church has the attitude of it's all about God. We can't do it. If God does it, if God brings it, then we will support it. We will, we will finance it. And that's a lot to do with the queen for a day. I've been here several years, and there's not, there's not a year that goes by. Once or twice a year, someone will stop me. We always call them liquor stores in California. They're not liquor stores here. I just got a gas station with a convenience store. Not once, not twice, but two or three times in the year, someone will stop me and want to know, when are you doing the queen for a day thing? What are you doing? That, I mean, as we look forward to Easter, as we look forward to Christmas, as we look forward to pastor's birthday, you get that? As we refer to that, there are those, there, there's, there, there are ladies in this town. The only thing they have going for them is one day in September when we treat them like women of God and, and love on them and bless them. And I'm just hoping that I've always wanted that, that after the, the, the Queen for Day takes place and many get saved, if we couldn't perhaps prepare a van to go pick up those that would need a ride that want to come. It's not about that. That's not why we do it. But what do you mean if we could follow up and those that got saved in Queen for a Day, we get them plugged in things of God. And that's what God said he would do in the last days. When I think of when I think of the covenant that God has made with us, and most of you know that a covenant has to do with the shedding of blood. We know that the Indian would go into covenant with a different one, different tribe, and they would cut their wrists, they would mix their blood, and the two and the two would become one, and there was a pact made, there was a covenant made. I got to thinking about the marriage covenant that we make with God. I got to think about the marriage covenant that we make with one another. And when I think of the covenant, I think of Todd and Missy. They are our latest uh, wedding. They're still smiling. They're still got his arm around us. It looks like everything's okay. And um, But a lot of things happen in covenant that we may not be aware of before we go into it. But all of a sudden, we realize there's a lot of stuff going on here. I took on a lot of stuff when I got married. Hello. Something about the covenant is when you go into a covenant, you you take on all of your spouse's weaknesses. She didn't have any weaknesses when you were dating. But now you've been married, there's a couple areas that you would like to fine-tune, and you like to tweak, and you would... But all those weaknesses that were, were hers now becomes yours. Same thing, all of your weaknesses now become her weaknesses. All of your strengths become her strengths. All of her strengths become your strengths. All of the provision that you have becomes her provision. All of her provision becomes your provision, bills, all the college bills, all the whatever bills that you have, whatever bills you had now becomes your spouse's commitment, and whatever bills she had becomes the spouse's commitment. And then I, I wrote down in my notes, stuff, stuff, just, just stuff. All of your stuff now becomes her stuff, and all of her stuff now becomes your stuff. That's what the covenant, that's what the marriage covenant is, is, is all about. And God, God gives us the example of the marriage covenant, the way that Christ loved the church and the way that the church loved Christ. Something that you will learn when, when Gomer uh, did what she did, abandoned her family, abandoned her children, went out and began to party and have a good time. And uh, Hosea had two children. Uh, some time had gone by, obviously some years had gone by. And Hosea went to God and said, God, can I get a divorce? I need a companion. I need a mother for my children. God said, I hate divorce. That's not covenant. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have you pray a hedge of thorns around her. 
that her wine becomes flat, her lovers become uninterested, and everything that she reaches out in pleasure, it would be a thorn, and it would prick her and remind her of how good she had things in the day before. So divorce is not even a part of it. That, that word should not ever be in your vocabulary, ever, because that's, what, that's where the enemy likes to come and he likes to use, because once you start speaking it, he'll take that seed and he'll make it grow and grow. You could, you could do, you could, we'll find another word you guys can, can, can use other than, but you know what? The wife is the, obviously the bride is the weaker, the groom is the stronger, and we are to love that, that bride the same way that Christ loved the church. What, what did the church do to Christ? Ignored him, abandoned him, aborted him, removed him from their life, but he's, he's still right there. What a lot of people can't grasp and understand is that God has one wife and he is divorced. Israel had an affair, went, went against God, their divorce, and as soon as God gets the son married, he's going to remarry Israel. Look at somebody say, praise God. There's a seven-day window. It's called the marriage feast of the Lamb, and after that seven-day window, there's going to be a restoration. There's going to be 1,000 years of peace, and when I think about the things that are outlined in the Word of God concerning our future, I think about, I think about that covenant that man makes with, with, with a woman. In the day when Christ shared this truth, in the day when a young lady reached puberty, she immediately, anytime she would go out public, she would cover her face. That let everybody know that she was a young lady. She was not, she was not promised. She was not married, but she was single. And somehow, even with her face covered, guys in the village would flirt, and they would try to get her attention, and they, they would try to get her attracted to them. And if the young man ever accomplished, ever accomplished what he wanted to do and somehow the eyes or the wind into the soul however he flirted with her however he communicated with her and had and decided that he wanted to marry her here's what he did he went to the girl's dad and they sat down at a table and they drew up a covenant you got to remember when a son was born the dad sent the son to the field to work he blessed the family but when a girl was born to dad, dad knew that that was an investment, that one day some starry-eyed young man was going to come around and ask for his daughter's hand in marriage. I have done three African weddings. They are incredible. They're phenomenal, South African. And all three of those weddings, the groom had to give the bride's father. One of, one of them was like 1,500 head of sheep, and one had to give 300 this is in our, our, our ministry span. This church witnessed, I think, two of the funeral, what, funerals. Whoops. Two of the weddings were here. But, but that's, that son had to commit to that dad. And a lot of times the reason that South Africans get married at 25 to 30 years of age, it takes 10 years for the young man to get a dowry that would satisfy the dad. They would sit down. They would draw up an agreement. He would tell the dad, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. It usually always involved a piece of land. The young man would always give the dead a piece of land. And then they would sign this covenant they made together. And then they would drink a glass of wine together, and that sealed the deal. Then the young man went to the area of his father's house, and there he began to prepare a place for not just his bride, but however many children he thought that he was going to have. And so he would begin to build, and he'd add bedrooms, he'd add everything. And when the father said it was done see the kid knowing he's going to get a bride he went and put a pup tent up and went and got his wife but the, the dad realized there was more to marriage than that so when the dad said it was okay and what would happen you know however, however far away she is the, the the virgin maiden the bride is waiting for her groom 
to show up, and it was the, the standard that day that when the house was complete, everything was in order, the groom would go to the bride's house in the middle of the night, they would bang pans, they would make a bunch of noise, and then the groom would shout, Behold, your bridegroom cometh. And so the, gir- the girls, she surrounded herself with handmaidens. They had their oil and their lamps. You know the story. They were ready for the groom to come and take the bride away. But there were some other kids in the village that were a little jealous because he got the girl. They would go in the middle of the night, and they would act like they were the groom. And they make all kinds of noises, and he would shout, Behold, your bridegroom cometh. And she would listen because she knew the voice of her bridegroom. And she would listen, and she would say, No, that's not my groom. That's, some, that's just some... That's just some pranks. They're playing some pranks on it. Everybody go back to bed and wait till the groom showed up. And when the dad said, the place is ready, go get your bride, he surrounded himself with several young men. They went to the bride's house in the middle of the night. They shouted out, behold, your bridegroom cometh. They made a bunch of noise, and she would listen. She said, that's him. That's my groom. And they would lower her out the window. Although she could go out the back door, they lowered her out the window, kind of like, like, like a thief in the night, and then they would go to this groom's preparation sometimes the wedding feast would last seven sometimes it last a month you know the story where jesus turned the water into wine they served the best wine the first few days of the wedding and now they got to wine that wasn't all that good you remember all that story and all of that and you know when i think about when i think about that story i think about the fact that jesus is the groom and we are the bride and we are engaged to him, and he has given us a contract that declares it. He's given the Holy Spirit that seals it. There's a piece of land called heaven, and today Jesus is with the Father preparing a place. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's going to come like a thief in the night. He's going to shout the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and he's going to descend from heaven. He's going to shout, and we, the church, are going to recognize that voice, and we're going to rise up to meet the Lord in the air to get married, to live in heaven for eternity, to spend time with God. Does that excite anybody in this house this morning? What a covenant. What a, what a, what a plan. What a thing that God has established, a thing that God has ordained. And we are right there in the middle of that. And again, I really, I want my expectations upon my ministry, my expectations upon my life. You know, I, I want I want some things to happen before I go to be with the Lord. Can I relate? I want I want to make some I want to make some significant change, some significant difference. And don't ever get discouraged for doing the right thing. Don't ever get discouraged that you may feel like you're the only one. A lot of people feel like that. The man of God felt like that. God said, "No, I've got 450 more that have not bowed." And so, no, we're we're not alone in this. There's something happening. There's a re- revival coming in the in things of God. But we need to be ready. We need to be ready for that revival. Father, thank you for our session together, our time together. Thank you for the covenant. Thank you for the blood that we shed. Thank you for for all the promises and provisions that you have provided.